Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today at the end of the episode, I will play the conclusion of Try Not to Die in the Wild West. But before that, lots of exciting stuff. I'm coming to you from 9,200 feet up. I'm at the Brooks Lake Lodge in Wyoming. This place is awesome. Super beautiful. I don't know if you can see that behind me, but it is beautiful. Yeah, incredible place. We're going to be here for another two days. We started the week out Sunday, landed in Jackson Hole. Check that place out. Saw a musical, and he Get Your Gun. I actually enjoyed it. We did whitewater rafting. We've got to check out all, all of Yellowstone. Just a lot of cool stuff. Today's been kind of relaxing, but the other cool thing that happened was I got a new idea. I was kind of joking around before I went on the trip about trying not to die in Yellowstone. You know, I'm always thinking about trying not to die, joking around about that. And the more and more I thought about it, I was like, okay, it's a good idea. There's so much opportunity here. I think the book would do well. I just have to find the right co-author. I believe I know who that is, but just in the matter of pretty much an hour long bus ride. We were going from one location to another. I plotted out a lot of this book. I, I think I know what it is, or at least one of the variations I wanna tell my co-author, whoever I agree to write it with. So one more project, but again, this is one where I want to do the planning. I want to do the plotting, a lot of it. I wanna do death scenes, but I'll probably have the other co-author do a lot of the writing. Speaking of a co-author who has done a lot of the writing, Trying to Die at Ghostland is doing very well. Thank you to everyone that has purchased a copy, left a review. It's pretty awesome. Duncan Ralston, my co-author, it's based off of his trilogy, Ghostland. Today, he shared that he had a number one seller with Trying to Die at Ghostland and number one seller with Boom. So that's pretty cool to see that. Yeah, this everyone's responding very positively to the book, which is what I was guessing. I think this is going to be my highest rated book. Right now it's at a 4.9. Those are early reviews, but we shall see. I think people are really going to dig it. So check it out if you haven't. Talking about other cool horror game books coming out. Check it out. There's the proof. I don't think I've shown it off before, but not on the podcast. I'm saying try not to die at Death Fest. Little poster for the back. This is the proof. I think I am going to redo the cover. Just this is glossy. I'm going to try a different version. I also forgot to include a couple things, a couple things I want to fix. It's nice that there's time. There's no rush for me to get those books, the actual paperbacks. Book's not coming out until October, but I am getting my list of people that I want to send it to. I have sent it to one reader. I sent it to Emily Haynes because she's been such a loyal reader, reviewer, just always encouraging. So she got to look at it and she seemed to enjoy it. So very positive there, but yeah, man, I'm excited about the whole series. The really nice thing with the release of Trying to Die at Ghostland, a lot of people are getting Trying to Die at Grandma's House and all the other books. So people are going through the series. Hopefully they're going to enjoy them all. Just starting today, I, I don't know if it's going to be permanent or not, but this is a game plan. Try not to die at Grandma's house is 99 cents. So hopefully that price has already gone into effect by the time you're hearing this, but that'll be on Kindle, Apple, Barnes & Noble, everywhere you can get ebooks. So 99 cents for Try Not to Die at Grandma's house. Tell your friends. This specification has been really cool. Done a lot, seen a lot, spent a lot of time with the family. 
We're all about to go do some archery. Not sure what we're going to do tomorrow. I want to go do some hikes. It's pretty cool that we're at this elevation. I feel good physically. So we're at 9,200 feet right now. But yeah, hopefully I'll be able to go on a good hike. My knee's feeling pretty strong, but I will wear a brace. Yeah, I've been missing jujitsu, but enjoying this time with the family. It's been very cool. All right, so I do need to get going to that archery lesson, trying not to work besides creating ideas, which for me, like the creation of trying not to die in Yellowstone, for me, that is so positive, so motivating for me, that doesn't feel like any kind of work. It's like, yeah, maybe I'm not doing other things right now, but I am listening to the tour guide and I am getting ideas and I am looking at this beautiful scenery and I'm thinking about awful, awful ways to die. <laughs> when we went through Yellowstone yesterday, I did ask the guy, I said, what would happen to a human body if they fell into this? And she looked at me a little bit weird, asked if I really wanted to know the details and I explained why, but that was really cool. So got a lot of awesome ideas, super positive. Other than that, I'm trying to chill, not be on social media hardly at all. So if I haven't responded to something you posted, be assured that I'm super appreciative. Everyone that has helped out with Ghostland and all these other books, it's been amazing. So thank you guys so much. I'll be back next week to talk a little bit more about the series and what else is going on. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Peace. Only the dark outline of mountain fire is visible inside the tunnel, the rushing water rising behind us. I can't believe I'm going to leave my fate to a horse, but I'll trust an animal's instincts over mine any day. All right, girl, you win, I say, following her in. Soon as I'm behind her, mountain fire rushes down into the tunnel, the rope sliding out of my grasp. The tunnel is dark and cramped, and I've no idea where it leads. It's hard to breathe the walls seeming to close in. I take one deep breath, then another, assure myself it's safe, just claustrophobic is all. There's a small rise at the entrance to the tunnel that's about four feet high with gutters carved into and around the entrance. It probably won't be enough to stave off the huge amount of water the river is pushing, but it could be enough to buy us some time. Wait up, girl! I hollered down the tunnel. Where'd you go? The faint sound of clomping hooves doesn't sound far off. After walking a dozen feet, my eyes have adjusted to the darkness. Although it's only a few feet taller than me, the tunnel opens up wide enough for four men, but I don't seem to be getting closer to the end. My foot is heading for a huge hole, my heart in my throat. I fall back on my butt and scoot away from the hole, the first of four rectangular openings cut into the ground, the sound of water coursing deep below. Drains, I say. I'll be damned. If the river water breaks into the tunnel, it's going to be rerouted by the drains. Mountain fire made the right choice. The holes are about five or six feet long with a two-foot-wide path between the drains. How'd you get around them, girl? My eyes adjust more and I can see the drains are engineered with a framework made of metal and not just dug out from the rock. I take my time stepping between the drains. Quite a drop into the rushing water some twenty feet below. Don't want to fall in that death trap. Mountain fire standing a fair distance away, but trots right up to me and nuzzles my cheek. Glad to see you too, I say. And ain't you just the smartest thing ever? Everything shakes, 
Come on, I say, giving her a pat. Let's get out of here. She runs ahead, stops, and takes a running jump, landing on the other side. I catch up and see another set of drains. I'll be dipped in... The water rages below as I skirt the drains. The flood must have entered the tunnel, the drains doing their job. There's no time to rest with everything shaking and rumbling around us, and we're back to racing through the tunnel and over the drainage system. After several more sets of drains, mountain fire stops. I catch up, daylight ahead. We're looking out at a huge quarry, only it's not outside. This one's inside, a giant hole scooped out of the ground. Wooden beams and scaffolding cross the entire ceiling. Over to the right are a stack of pans and some washing stations. They found gold here, I say. No wonder it's taken them so long to finish the dam. The ground shakes below, nearly knocking us over. A huge gush of water crashes outward from the drain below. A large wooden ramp funnels it into an aqueduct system. Troughs lead around the excavation to the far side where they meet and flow into the raging underground river, surfacing for just a small part of its journey. Its banks are built up with concrete barriers to keep it at bay. Amazing how it's all done. If I'd gone in the river, I'd have been washed up, probably drowned after winding through the mountains so much. Sure am glad I followed you, I tell Mountain Fire. Now we just need to figure out how to get down from here and make our way out. Any ideas? The quarry stretches several hundred feet in either direction, the largest interior space I've ever seen. I guide Mountain Fire toward the edge of the wood ramp, step on it to make sure it's secure. It doesn't budge, so we head down toward the main floor. Sunlight beams through the holes in the crisscrossed wood and metal beams that make up the roofing. There is an intricate scaffolding system throughout the area. Pulleys and chains string from the bottom to a topmost ramp where there are small railroad cars designed to transport heavy loads. There are buckets and shovels and wheelbarrows neatly stacked to the side. Halfway down, I hold my hand over my brow to block the sunlight streaming in and blinding me. We've got to find the way out of here. Gotta be a door or a tunnel that leads us out. Directly across from us, there's a large tunnel on the bottom of the quarry. That must be where we have to go. As if on cue, the soft clomp of hooves comes from that direction. Jumpin' John and Scorpion trot out of the tunnel on horseback. Jumpin' John points right at me, wild-eyed and grinning. Gotcha. He sounds like he's right next to me, making me nearly jump out of my skin. I don't know if I should get back up on top of Mountain Fire and ride off or stay on foot. They don't advance. Just sit there. I'm frozen. Not sure what to do. No weapon to use at this distance. Going to have to risk running right past them on Mountain Fire or scurry up the scaffolding and hope to lose them. Jumpin' John and Scorpion are just sitting on their horses waiting for me to make my move. John shouts, Come on down, son, so we can do some talking. Get this all worked out. My stomach ties up into a knot because I know my idea is risky. I pat Mountain Fire's side and look in her eyes. You go that way. I'll see you down there. She shakes her head, seemingly telling me no. We have to split up. It's the only way. Mountain Fire seems to get it, but she's frightened, no doubt about it. 
We might actually have a chance at surviving this. I throw the reins over her back. Now go on and get! She's off in a blink, racing down the ramp toward the bottom of the quarry and the jumpers. I run like hell to my right, my arms and legs pumping faster than a locomotive. The first enclosed area of the scaffolding is just a few feet away when one of them hollers, There he is! Go get him! I keep running, not sure who's saying what, just knowing I gotta get away. Horse hooves. Loud. They're coming fast. Super fast. I risk a glance over the side, see Scorpion racing toward the on-ramp for the scaffolding, ignoring Mountain Fire running past him. I scramble up, keep pushing myself, several more ramps above me. Scorpion rounds the corner on his horse and pulls out his pistol. You ain't going nowhere. There's no way I can outrun him, so I duck beside the barrels full of tools pressed against the wall. Blam! The bullet ricochets off the scaffolding just inches above my head. I curl into a ball, spot a large pipe by my knees. Grab it. He shoots again, the blast so loud. I hold the pipe to my chest, getting up my nerve. Wow! A big bad jumper scared of a kid! Needs his gun! Ha! He yells, his horse galloping at me. I wait for the last moment and leap out swinging, the pipe smacking Scorpion full in the chest, the vibration ringing through every one of my bones. Scorpion's horse keeps going, but he tumbles off and rolls toward the edge of the ramp. We lock eyes, his face twisted in fear. He drops down, down, down into a pile of buckets. The gash across Scorpion's forehead is gushing blood, covering his right eye. His left looks all over before spotting me. You. Something slithers across Scorpion's chest. It's rattle right behind it. He jerks back from the snake, but it doesn't do any good. The rattler strikes, hitching onto his cheek. Scorpion's mouth opens wide, his unholy screams shaking my soul. His eyes roll back as he passes out, falling backward onto the heap of buckets. The rattler slides away, Scorpion no longer a threat. On the other side of the barrels, a few feet away, is Scorpion's six-shooter. It's still warm, fits perfect in my hand. There are only two bullets left, the barrel looking a bit banged up from the fall. A shot rings out, the bullet striking the wall behind me. You son of a bitch! Jumping John hollers from atop his horse at the bottom of the ramp. I run, and from the sound of it, Jumpin' John's riding his horse up the ramp like a demon out of hell. Scorpion's horse is down the ramp a ways, but she splits when I go to climb a border. Where you going to run, little man? Jumpin' John shouts. I'm a great shot. I can pick you off a mile away. I'm running so hard my heart's about to burst. A shot rings, pings near me. The scaffolding gets straighter ahead. When we round that corner, it'll be like shooting fish in a barrel. I spot a way out I hadn't noticed before. Long ropes that lead to the pulley system. I'm not an acrobat, but if I can grab one of the ropes, surely I'll be able to climb down, and probably faster than it'd take for Jumpin' John to get off his horse, run over, and aim. Scorpion's revolver goes down the front of my pants to free up my hands. I grab hold of the rope grasping it tight as I swing out over the ground thirty feet below, soaring like an eagle. 
When I swing back, Jumpin' John's just arriving where I swung out from. I let go of my grip just enough to slide down, falling way faster than I predicted. My stomach light as air, my hands on fire from the rope burn. Scorpion's revolver slips from my waistband and clatters to the dirty floor a second before my feet smash down, the rope smacking into the side of the scaffolding. Mountain fire hurries over to me. Jumpin' John peers down. Why, you little... He grabs hold of one of the ropes and looks ready to swing out, taking my lead. Scorpion's revolver is a good ten feet away, but there's a hammer the size of my forearm among the overturned tools. I know full well it won't be much of a match against a peacemaker, but better than nothing. I bring the hammer to my lips and give it a kiss. Try to summon Pa's strength and courage. You're dead! Jumpin' John lives up to his name and launches himself off the scaffolding platform up above. He's swinging in the air above us, one hand on the rope, the other hand aiming his gun. He fires, the shot zipping past Mountain Fire's flank. She runs like hell toward the outbound tunnel. I crouch into a smaller target and raise the hammer to my ear. Another shot rings out and I roll out of the way. Jumpin' John hits the ground with a boom and lets go of the rope sees me hiding behind the barrel. He aims, fires, the shot blowing a hole in the barrel beside me. Grain pours out like water from a faucet. He points the gun right at me and pulls the trigger. Click. Should have been a kill shot, but he's out of bullets. I run right for him as he's looking confused at his gun. I bring the hammer up by my ear and launch it with all I got. It sings through the air, a perfect throw, connecting with Jumpin' John's forehead hard enough to throw him back a yard. John's flat on his back, his peacemakers a few feet away dropped in the fall. I snatch up Scorpion's revolver and rush up. There's a huge dent in the middle of John's forehead, red gore oozing out. He's unconscious. Have to do something to remedy that fact. If he lives, he'll never stop coming after me. I've got the hammer, gun, and pulley rope at my disposal. Just need to decide which one to use. I'm not about to bash in an unconscious man's head or waste a bullet on him, but I can't risk leaving John alive. This bastard has caused enough pain and suffering in this world, and even if I could somehow get him turned in for a reward, I'd spend the rest of my days waiting for some scoundrel to avenge him. I grab the pulley's rope and slide a circle of it under John's head, wrap it around the front of his throat. Making a slip noose with three quick knots and a slide, I pull the rope tight. The action jars jumping John back to consciousness. He clutches at the rope and his eyes go wide. What in? I snatch the other end of the rope and sprint for the far end of the scaffolding, pulling with everything I got. The rope stretches out behind me as I fly the world's heaviest kite. Jumpin' John rises, higher and higher, his legs kicking, his hands trying to loosen the noose. I run out of rope and watch him do a jitter thirty feet in the air. John's got nothing but fear in those bulging eyes, the weight of his body working to suffocate him. He gasps for air like a fish out of water. As much as I don't want to, I force myself to watch. Don't make any gestures. Don't cross my heart. Nothing. Just watch him die. Cold. His legs finally go limp and stop kicking, 
his body swinging peacefully in light. That's what you get, you evil bastard, I say before heading toward the tunnel and out of the quarry, leaving jumping John Wyatt's body to be discovered. Let him rot for all I care. My entire body hurts, every muscle spent. I hadn't even thought of how I'm going to make it home. There's a good chance I'll pass out halfway back if I try it on foot, but I don't have a choice. The sun is beating down on the desert floor, the sand burning my feet right through my boots. It's not going to be easy, but I didn't come this far just to fail now. My head's throbbing with no hat to keep off the rays. All I want to do is sit down in the shade of a tree and rest my weary body. There's a soft clump of hooves coming from behind the rock outcropping off to the left. I slide out Scorpion's revolver and take aim at the three horses headed my way. There's a rider on one, but I can't make out anything with the sun directly behind them. If it's Ford or some other outlaw, I've got one last surprise for them. The rider stops about twenty feet short. Hey there, cowboy, Jolene says. Is it safe? I slide the pistol back in my pants. I didn't think I'd ever see you again, I say. They're all dead except Ford. Those jumpers ain't gonna mess with no one ever again. Jolene dismounts Santa Fuente and wraps me up in the biggest hug. You're soaked to the bone, I nod. Had quite the adventure. Jolene ends the hug and shows me Mountain Fire and John Steed. Look who I found. I pat Mountainfire's neck, rest my head against hers. Couldn't have done this without you. She acknowledges me by shaking her head and doing a little dance. Jolene hands me a canteen. What about this guy? She asks as she eyes Jumpin' John's recently orphaned steed suspiciously. I drink my fill and offer my hand to the stallion. He struts up to me, accepts a pet. Hey there, I say, rubbing his cheek. Sorry about your pa, but he had it coming. Yeah, and we don't need any of that bad juju. Well, hold on, I say. Let's not blame the steed for its jailer. Jolene gives me the sweetest smile. I suppose you're right. We'll drop him and R2 at the tack of the town, I say. My heart hurting a bit because I've got to part with mountain fire. If the Lansdales aren't too furious with us, I bet they'll pay you good money for John's horse. I'm brushing the horse's mane when I spot a leather pouch hanging from its saddle, similar to the one John had handed the sheriff. I open it up, enough coins and bills in there to more than make up for all the sales I lost. I beam ear to ear and show Jolene the bounty. Oh my God, Jolene says, flipping through the roll of bills, her eyes wide. Holy cow! We do a quick tally. See, we've got almost $400. Don't spend it all in one place, Jolene says. Well, I was thinking of doing just that. I nod at Santa Fuente and Mountain Fire and jiggle the bag. I wager we have enough to make these two officially ours. Jolene's stunned. Can't seem to speak. She wraps me up in another hug and I'm afraid she won't stop squeezing. I don't want this moment to end, but I'm exhausted and want to get back to town. Are you ready? She says yes, but is looking at John's horse. Now that you're free, you need a new name. You got a red mane and you're light brown like the sand.
She pauses a second and asks, How does Desert Fury sound to you? The horse neighs and does a little dance. Desert Fury it is, I say from up top mountain fire. Perfect. I take Desert Fury's reins as we begin our long journey back. We look out at the desert ahead, the train depot a few miles out, Placerita Town just beyond. Jolene asks, So, where to? The desert is hot, but the journey feels faster than last time. Maybe it's because we're still running on adrenaline from the absolutely crazy day we've had. Highlights of it playing over and over in my head. We pass the deserted train depot, and not much longer we hit the outskirts of town. Jolene slows us to a trot and says, Follow me. We'll go on through the back. I'm just so happy to be alive I'd follow her anywhere. We're coming up to the back of the stable when a cowhand readying his mare shouts, You two, stop right there. Jolene puts her hands up and says, We're returning these horses. The cowhand has his pistol out, but it's aimed at the floor. Jim Lansdale don't let no one borrow steeds. You stole them. Well, if you find Mr. Lansdale for me, I'll be happy to explain it all, Jolene says. Get them horses in their stalls. We both dismount and walk the horses back to their stalls, sticking Desert Fury into an empty one. The cowhand takes a length of rope and tells me to stick out my hands, wraps me up tight to Mountain Fire's stall. Don't go nowhere, he tells me, sliding out Scorpion's revolver and setting it on a barrel well out of reach. He nods at Jolene. You come with me. Jolene promises me she'll be right back and follows the cowhand into the building. I pray she's as close to the Lansdales as she promised. Mountain Fire nudges the back of my head, gets me to face her. I can't pet her with my hands tied up, but she likes it when I rub my cheek against hers. You did good, girl. It ain't long before the tack door opens and Jolene walks out with Mr. Lansdale, who's carrying a shotgun. She doesn't look too worried, but my legs are trembling. So, Mr. Lansdale says, resting the barrel of his shotgun across his forearm, but keeping it pointed toward my feet. You're the one behind all this? I nod. Didn't mean no harm, sir. They were going to kill us. You do know horse theft is punishable by death. Yes, sir, I say. Not so sure he's going to let me get away with this. But I also planned on buying them. Mr. Lansdale laughs so loud I'm afraid his gun might go off. And just how do you expect to do that? I look him dead in the eye. With cash, soon as you untie me. Mr. Lansdale nods at the cowboy to release the rope. And what were you going to offer? Ain't you the ironworker's son? I nod. Proudly so. And I had in mind the figure of $150 for Mountain Fire. Mr. Lansdale laughs. That's a fair price, he says. But where's a boy like you get that kind of money? I'm telling you, Mr. Lansdale, Jolene says. Rocky took out the whole jumper gang, gave himself a little reward for it. We did, I correct her, tossing Mr. Lansdale the bag I'd gotten off John, most of the large bills safely tucked in the bottom of my right boot. We'd also like to trade in this beautiful steed right there. Seems like she'd be a fair trade for one of them. That's quite a story, young man, he says, glancing over at Desert Fury, 
the bag still clutched in his hand. You're saying you took out the entire gang and acquired this here horse? Yes, sir. All but the one, but with a little luck he never found his way out of the tunnels. I'm none too happy you borrowed one of mine without my being here, Mr. Lansdale says. Can't lie about that to you. I hang my head. I'm sorry, Mr. Lansdale. It was a life-or-death situation, but I had every intention of buying her from you. So, tell me this, then. How much do you think the horse you brought me would be worth? I shrug. I don't know, I say. Maybe a little more than Mountain Fire? Maybe a little less? Fair enough, he says with a little nod. He puts a hand to his chin. Thanks. My heart races. Well, are you sure the jumper this was attached to is dead now? Won't come back here demanding him back? I raise a hand. Swear it on my pa, I say. Mr. Lansdale puts out his hand. All right, then, he says. I'll tell you what. You keep Mountain Fire, and I'll keep Desert Fury, even Stevens. He tosses me my bag and says, Bring your money back to your daddy. A storm's coming, and you all are going to need it. Plus, you did the whole town right by getting rid of those monsters. You can't be serious. As serious as a rattler in your outhouse, Mr. Lansdale says. Deal? I shake his hand. Deal. But I'd also like to purchase Santa Fuente for Jolene. I thought you were joking, Jolene says. Not one bit. You deserve her. Maybe so, Mr. Lansdale says. But she'll run you a bit more. Two hundred's what we're asking. I empty the pouch and count out the bills before handing them over. Then two hundred is what I'll give you. Mr. Lansdale takes the money and tips his hat. Good doing business with you. Seeing how we need to get some food and clean up before I ride home, can we leave these two here for now? I promise him. Won't be more than an hour. He gives us the go-ahead, and I grab Scorpion's revolver, stick it down the front of my pants before we exit through the tack shop. All I can think of is a cold drink and some jerky at the sidewinder, but we're stopped halfway there, Sheriff Sweeten on his horse, looking down on us, hand on his holster. Well, 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 he says. If it ain't the two most wanted people in town. Jolene turns and looks right at Sweeten, makes it so she's blocking my body from him. Wanted for what? Escaping the jumpers? Sweeten gently rubs his fingers on his holster's latch. You, missy, need to watch your mouth. And you, he says, cocking an eye at me. You know your wares were found on top of murdered man with eyewitnesses putting you at the scene? Sheriff, I say. I'm sure my pa, I don't give a damn about your pa. Get your hands up and head that way. Judge Perry and Freestone will sort it all out. We've got quite the crowd on both sides of the street. Nothing but empty street directly behind the sheriff. At this range, I'm pretty sure I could hit him. But who knows if townsfolk will open fire. A hot gust of wind blows dust all around us. Makes it so I can't see five feet. Sweeten and the crowd all a blur. The wind dies down and the dust with it, but my mind is set. 
I steel myself and say, Excuse me, Sheriff, but can you give me the name of your witnesses? I'm fairly certain they're all deceased. Sweeten stares right at me, gives an uncomfortable laugh. Highly unlikely, son. I'm not your son, and those jumpers ain't taking another breath. The crowd scoots in, my news spreading like wildfire, disbelief and prayers expressed on both sides of the street. Sheriff Sweeten brushes it off. The justice system will take care of you. Well, I sure hope they do, I say, talking loud so the whole town can hear. Because according to every poster I've ever seen, the posters you yourself nailed up, I'm entitled to quite a reward for my doings. I pause to make sure everyone's listening. And I'd like nothing better than to split it with the town, make up for some of their losses. The crowd cheers and rushes us, makes it so the sheriff can't do a thing. I walk through the crowd and approach Sweeten, keeping my voice down so only he can hear me. And in case you're not believing me, I hold up John's pouch that looks just like the one he handed the sheriff. Look, we've got matching. Sweeten goes to open his mouth, then shuts it quick. And I'd also like my bag of iron goods back. Wouldn't seem right you confiscating a weapon that helped take out one of the worst gangs around. Of course you get your gear back, he says, the smell of cheap whiskey coming off his breath matching the sour look in his eyes. Speaking louder so the crowd can hear, Sweeten says, And as soon as we have proof of the bodies, we can take them posters down and get you your bounty. What I really want to do is tell the town what a corrupt piece of garbage they have for a sheriff, but that's a surefire way to get a bullet put through my head. Instead, I say, Thank you. I'll stop by your office on my way out to collect my bag. Sweeten tips his hat and turns his horse around, heads back toward his office. The crowd gives another cheer, a dozen different voices asking what happened, how we escaped, did we really kill them? Jolene puts two fingers to her mouth and whistles everyone quiet. I'm sure our hero will tell us all about it at the Sidewinder over some nourishment. Who wants to join us? The crowd erupts, starts walking toward the saloon, Jolene and I going with their flow. Jolene's beside me, a beautiful smile etched across her face that only grows bigger when I hold her hand. Give it a gentle squeeze. We did it, I tell her. We survived. And that's how I made it through the longest day and took care of old jumpin' John Wyatt and his gang, I say before taking a pull on my beer, looking out the sidewinder's main window. Mountain fire's tied to the post, much older, yet still elegant. She still has her looks and strength, attributes I hope I've retained as well, although I'm not so sure. Santa Fuente is next to Mountain Fire. Jolene's sitting beside me with her beautiful smile. She squeezes my hand. Next, you're going to have to tell them how I rescued you from Ford Gaines a year later, she says, laughing. I look down at our son. Give little Gabriel's head a tussle. Do the same for Catherine, our daughter. We laugh. That's the better lesson than me bragging, I say. Be careful of the ones that get away. They tend to come back to haunt you. Glad you're here, Daddy, Gabriel says. 
Me too. What happened to the sheriff? Catherine asks. He doesn't sound anything like Constable Smith. It's a new world, I say. Things are getting more civilized. Jolene says, Well, that old sheriff, before going off and buying that horse he'd promised his missus, he went on up to visit one of the upstairs ladies, back when that was a thing, and his heart gave out on him before he could even take off his boots. Everyone at the table laughs. And Miss Savannah, Jolene says, pausing for effect, she was gone by morning. And the money I gave Pa let him relax a little, I say. Life's just a little better for you all. We should all count our blessings. We've made it through another day, but tomorrow? Well, when it comes, we'll just have to try and survive again. We all say amen and cross our hearts. And the day fades into night, and we all sleep soundly because the story has been told, and the story has been heard, ready to be passed on. The End Another note from the authors. Thank you so much for listening to Try Not to Die in the Wild West. This is a different approach to putting out audiobooks, so we would appreciate any feedback and suggestions. It would also help us greatly if you could also leave a review or recommend the book to friends. Thank you.